Welcome to the Books of Titans podcast, where I seek truth in the world's best books. I'm your host, Eric Rostad, coming to you from the beautiful Books of Titans studio in Franklin, Tennessee. My goal is to read 52 books per year and share what I'm learning. I'll talk a bit about each book, tie ideas together from a variety of genres, and share the one thing I always hope to remember from each book. Well, today's a special episode, and right next to me here on my desk, I have all 52 books for my 2022 reading list. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick up each one and in in the order that I read them and then share the one thing that comes to mind. So I don't have any notes prepared for these books. I've not thought about what I want to, to say for each of them, but I'm just going to say the first thing that comes to my mind. And I, I will also share how long it took me to read each book. Uh, I know that's a very nerdy thing to do, but but I like to track it, one, just to see how long particular books take. And then I also like to track it so that I can share that. And so that you know, oh, if if I was interested in reading this book, this is about how long it would take. Uh, please know that I'm not a fast reader at all. And so and I'm taking notes and doing all sorts of stuff so that when I, when I share the times for these books, it's it's quite generous. So you, you'll probably be able to, to finish it uh, faster than than what I've what the time it took me to read it. Uh, but I do like to share that just so you have an idea of, of what a book may may take for you to read. So I'll share that as well. But I, I share the one thing that comes to my mind. And, and if you've listened to any other episodes of this podcast, you know that uh, at the end of each episode, I share the one thing, my one key takeaway from the book. And so part of this is I'm, I'm curious, you know, how, how often will the one thing from when I did the episode, uh, how often will that be the same one thing that I remember at the end of the year here? Uh, so th- this is a, a fun one for me. I, I love this episode. I love testing myself. Uh, it, it is embarrassing, though, too, because uh, there'll probably be a few books here where I don't remember anything. And uh, I'll, I'll just share that if I, if I don't remember anything. But uh, this this can also be a good episode for you to to learn about some of the some of these books and then uh, it might spark an interest in 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 be one that you want to add to one of your reading lists so i'm going to geek out here i'm going to go into the stats for the year i'm going to uh and then after after that uh, i'll divide this this episode into four other segments and so this is segment one uh the the next three segments segments two three and four i'll divide up the reading list into the first 17 books, then the next 17, and then the final 18. And again, I'll just pick them up in order and, and share the thing that I remember. And then in segment five, I'm, I'm going to go uh, kind of more more broad view and share some of the following. Uh, so the first thing is just my top five books for the year. After that, books that I had on my original list that I removed. And then uh, after that, books that I replaced those that I removed. I want to also talk about just a, a few overarching insights or ideas that struck me this year. Uh, the, th- the things just, you know, when I kind of look back over the 52 books, what are what are some big level ideas or just things that I thought about or maybe even not even things related to something I saw in the book, but just something that I grabbed elsewhere that but that applies to, to the books that I read. And then after that, I'll just do a quick recap of the first six years of this project, and then what I have planned for the next 10 plus years of this reading project. So real quick, here are the stats for the year. I read 52 books. There were 17,110 pages in those books. The time it took me to read all 52 of those books was 447 hours, 46 minutes, and one second. 
and I, I know that is super geeky. I, I use this app where every time I sit down to read, I just push start, you know, I'm starting to read. And then when I finish end, and then I put the, it, it, it knows the page I started at. So then I just put in the page that I end. And uh, so that 447 hours and 46 minutes is, is pretty accurate because I, 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 I track that pretty well. Um, it took me 357 days to, to get through all those. And so that was from January 1st through December 23rd. I, that averaged 48 pages per day or for the list. I needed to average 47 per day to get to get through the entire reading list. And so what I do at the beginning of the year is I, I make a list of all the books that I'm re- going to read, and then I divide that by 365 days. So I know I need to read 47 pages per day. Uh, being at 48 pages per day, I, I, I ended up finishing about a week early. The longest book on this year in, in terms of how long it took me to read was, was The Apocrypha. That took me 17 hours and 32 minutes to read. And then the shortest book on the list was one, a very short one by Ken Follett. Uh, about Notre Dame, the the cathedral in Paris, and that one that one took under an hour. That was just forty minutes. So I have a wide variety of books here. Some are very long, some are very very short, uh, but those were the the longest and the shortest. So next up in segment two, I will start with the first seventeen books on the list. All right, book one for two thousand twenty two was On Reading Well by Karen Swallow Pryor, Finding the Good Life Through the Great Books. This was this one took me seven hours and forty four minutes to read, and the the one thing I remember from this one is the distinction of the virtues. So this is a book about virtues and how they show up in different works of, of literature. So so Karen Swallow Pryor will will talk about different different works like The Great Gatsby was one of them, and she'll she'll tie a virtue to it. And uh, one thing I really liked is she she defined virtue as something along a spectrum, and so it was a balance of of something on one side and and uh, something on the other. So so for for instance, courage, courage is, is the virtue. Uh, but on if you, if you're too courageous, you you could become reckless. And if you're not courageous enough, you are a coward. And so courage is the balance of being too reckless, but also you, you know you don't want to go the other side and, and be a coward. So what uh, the one thing from this book was just the distinction between the virtues. And she, she talks about the cardinal virtues, but then she talks about these theological virtues. And the theological virtues she called faith, hope, and love, and said that those needed to come from outside of, of you, needed to come from outside of me and work their way through me, as opposed to the cardinal virtues are ones that I could I could work on in that sort of thing. And what was just neat is I, I had that exact question going into this book. I had no idea it was going to answer this question, but in 2021, I just, uh, w- from different books I was reading and just th- things I was thinking about, it, it was that question like, okay, these virtues, like, uh, how much, what are, what, what do I need God's help with in these virtues? And then which are the virtues that I, I can just kind of do on my own type thing? And, and so this book answered that question. And then I just loved how it did it through using literature. So it kind of introduced you to some books or just reminded you of ones that you've read. So I, I loved this book. I, I highly recommend it. Uh, and, and this book is going to come up a little later in this episode. I've got a neat little story on it as well. Book two for the year was The Black Count by Tom Rice, the subtitle of Glory, Revolution, Betrayal, and the Real Count of Monte Cristo. 
So the one of my favorite books ever is The Count of Monte Cristo. And the author of that is Alexandre Dumas. And his father was just a stud. And I didn't know anything about his father, but this book is about his father. And his father uh, grew up as a slave, uh, end up, ended up becoming a, uh, an officer in Napoleon's army. Uh, just, I mean, just, just a stud of a man. And this was his story. I think the one thing that, that stuck out to me the most in this is just the, the horrible situation in Saint-Domingue, San uh, which, is, which is now Haiti. And just the awful, the just the awful situation there. Um, I, I mean, it was amazing to read about this man's life, uh, very, uh, and and then just kind of see how it tied. And then you know, his sons writing these amazing novels like *The Three Musketeers*, *The Man in the Iron Mask*, *Count of Monte Cristo*. And you see a lot of, the, the, you can see the influences of his father in in those stories. So that that was book two. Book three, *In Cold Blood* by Truman Capote. And this is a this is a work of nonfiction, but uh, it it's almost it's written like fiction. And Capote has actually gotten kind of in trouble, uh, perhaps for for being maybe too fictionalized, uh, or 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 he made up stuff or, or didn't get the story right. But it's it's a story about these these two men who commit uh, a, a horrendous series of murders of, of a family. Uh, so they, they, they rob a house and, uh, and, and end up killing, killing the people, uh, in cold blood. And the thing I, I remember is just the, the way it was written was such that I got scared, like being in my own house, uh, started locking the doors earlier at night, that kind of thing. Uh, it just, he wrote in such a way that it was just, it was gripping and, this is one of those books that just will not will not leave you quickly. It took me 10 hours in a minute to to read that one. Number 4 is The David Story by Robert Alter. This was a late addition to the to the reading list and uh the reason was is there's this group called the Catherine Project and they will do online meetings so you you do them via Zoom but you you talk about a work of literature, and they even have some about operas and movies and different things like that. But um, but you should check it out if if you haven't uh, the Catherine Project, and they, so they'll release and say you know we're having a reading group about the Iliad, and then they'll they'll take maybe ten to fifteen people, and then you will discuss that over a period of a, of a, a few months. And so I signed up for one on First and Second Samuel of the Hebrew Bible, and one of the one of the books they suggested that we we read for that was this David story by Robert Alter. And what this is, is it's actually a translation and a commentary of first and second Samuel. And I loved it. I, this is my first introduction to Robert Alter. Uh, I, someone had suggested I get his series where he did translate the entire Hebrew Bible. Uh, So I ended up getting that as well. But for this David story, it was just fascinating. And so he translated the Hebrew Bible but then he also wrote a commentary on it. And so what's great is you he's he's saying why he chose certain words, uh, English words. And you say, you know, this this is the Hebrew word, and this is where it also shows up. This is why I chose this word over this word. Uh, but it but it just helps you understand some of what's going on in the stories. And the thing that stuck out the most in, in this was um in in the uh in the story where 
Absalom is sleeping with his father's concubines. He's, he's sleeping with them on, on the roof. And Robert Alter points out that that roof was probably the exact roof where David first laid eyes upon Bathsheba. So he was, King David was supposed to be at war. He's, he's on his balcony, he's on his roof, and he sees Bathsheba bathing. And gosh, that just adds a whole other element to that story. Uh, the, the sins of the father being passed on to the kids. And so the, the very place where David first looked and, and saw and lusted after Bathsheba is the same exact place that his son later humiliates his father in front of, in front of everybody. Uh, you know, everybody can see up, up on this place where, where Absalom is, is doing that. Uh, just so tragic to, to consider that and, and think about that, but just one of the many things uh, and insights in, in reading this book. So I'd highly recommend it. it took me 16 hours and 56 minutes to, to read through that. And then I participated in this reading group for first and second Samuel. And it was, I loved it. I learned so much and, and, uh, it really changed how I read the, the story of King David and, and Saul and Samuel. So, uh, very good, uh, introduction if, if you'd like one. Number five, amusing ourselves to death by Neil Postman, the Subtitle of Public Discourse in the Age of Show Business. So it took me five hours and 20 minutes to read through. And what was what was good is that uh, this was written a while ago, so uh, before internet. And it's it's kind of talking about how TV is, is <laughs> ruining us. And you're just thinking, gosh, how much more so? Like all the things he's talking about, it's just, it's just gotten progressively deeper and, and worse. And so... It's just it's an eye-opening book, and then just one that that really makes you rethink how you're how you're using your time and um, and uh, so the the one thing that sticks out here is just it talks about two different dystopian futures in 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 ways that we talk about them, and and most most of the time we'll point to two well-known books, and one is 1984 by Orwell, and the other one is um, Brave New World by Huxley. And what he says is in 1984, it's kind of a top-down clampdown of, of totalitarianism. But in Brave New World, it's kind of a ground-up where people are just amusing themselves to death. And so if, if you look around, just it, it, at least in the United States, you know what, what, what do you see most often? Do you see just kind of people getting numb from entertainment and just constant TV, constant internet, constant, constantly looking at their phone, or is it, is it a totalitarianism kind of coming down? And, and you obviously see both of those examples uh, in the world today. Uh, but what, what, which one is more happening to us? And, and he would obviously say that, um, that the Huxley book is, is more what is happening to us. So that's, that's amusing ourselves to death. Number five. So number six is The Origin of the Family, Private Property, and the State by Friedrich Engels. And this one uh, was suggested by a friend, and he told me you know, this one is is kind of the playbook for ushering communism in. And so uh, The Communist Manifest, Manifesto by Marx, I've not read that, but but perhaps that would be more on the, the economic side, and then this one would be more on the, the cultural side. And so I, I read it, uh, going into it, just, I, I wanted to read it and see if, if I was hearing similar things being discussed 
in our modern time that that was found in this book. And my one takeaway from this is uh, is actually embarrassing, and, and it's this, that I went in to reading this book with such an agenda and such a, a mindset that it completely impacted how I read the book. And so I read the book a particular way. I then recorded a podcast and released that podcast. And I've, I got a few comments from from people and, and they were saying, you, you missed the point of the book and you did not read it correctly. And I invite that kind of um, feedback and I, I welcome it because I, I, I want to know what I'm missing, I want I want to be able to read better and, and better understand. And and so they were saying, or one of my points in the podcast was that Engels in the midway through the book was calling for a revolution for these things to happen. Uh, he describes, you know, what families would, would have looked like in the past. And, and if we keep going this certain way, this is what they'll look like. And then uh, I said he called for a revolution for these things to be implemented. And the people who were commenting were saying he, he doesn't do that at all. And so I looked back at the book in the very places that I thought he was doing that. He, he really didn't. Um, he, he wasn't calling for revolution. It was more of, you know, if, if society is moving in this direction, if, if it's moving more towards communism, this is what will happen to the family. And so it was almost more of a prophecy or a prediction of what was going to happen as opposed to, hey, let's uh, pick up guns and, and usher this thing in. And so I, I, I completely blew it and I, I completely uh, read into something that, that wasn't there. And it, so I, I've, I've, I have some embarrassing epi- podcast episodes for this reading project where I just didn't read the book well or, or, or said things that, that I, you know, kind of cringe at now, but I've left those up. I actually took that episode down for that covered this book, the origin of the family, private property in the state, because I said things about it that were, were completely wrong. And, and it was really because I went in with a particular mindset and, and way that I thought it was going to be presented that I missed what it actually said. And so I'm happy that happened in the sense that it was a good lesson for me. Uh, it's an embarrassing lesson. I, I, I took that episode down, um, but I'm glad it happened because I, I think I will be a better reader going in. And I just, I need to be aware if I'm going into a book with a particular idea of what it, it's going to say, I need to be even extra careful on that because I, I'm very prone to reading it incorrectly. And so yeah, that's my that's my one thing with with this book is is uh, is that it took me nine hours and seven minutes to read the origin of the family private property in the state. Next up, number seven, the long ships by Franz Beng Bengston. <laughs> Sorry, the uh, this is a novel, but it's a novel that takes place in the in the Vikings times, and so. It's, I think it's like 800 common era AD to, uh, and, and then on. And so what was neat is it, I mean, it's taking actual people's names. And, and so you're coming across actual people who, who lived, but um, it's, it's, it's a story made up within that world. And what was neat is just the learning about where all the places that the Vikings had gone. So from Sweden, from Norway, uh, just all the different places they had gone in the world and as conquerors and, and all that. And then the I, I, 
would say the one thing that, that stuck out the most is just the process of Christianity coming to that land and the changes and, and yeah, just, uh, but yeah, that, that's kind of the, the thing that comes to my, my mind when I think of this story. Uh, but, but then also just all the different lands they were in as, as part of, part of that history. That one took me 16 hours and, and 29 minutes to read. Next up was The Bookseller of Florence. This was by Ross King, and the subtitle is The Story of the Manuscripts That Illuminated the Renaissance. Uh, I've read a couple other Ross King books. I went to Italy in 2004, and in preparation, I read a, a few books that King had done, where he, he uh, one of them was Brunelleschi's Dome. And so he he wrote about the uh, the cathedral in in Florence and the dome that's at, on the top of it and just all the engineering feat that it was and all that. And so I, I, I knew Ross King from, from reading those books and, and respected him. And so when I saw this one come out, I was like, man, this is right up my alley. This one will be fun. And the thing I remember most about this is, is it, it's, it's nonfiction and it takes place before the Renaissance. And it, there was a street in Florence that had a number of bookshops. And these bookshops, this is the time where there, there was not a printing press yet. And so these bookshops, they were sending people all over the world to these different monasteries to, in, to um, B- the Byzantine Empire, like all, all around to, cap- to get these manuscripts and to, then, to copy them. So they're copying these by hand. There's illustrations in them. They're, I mean, vellum, just the the whole works, like, but very expensive. So not not a whole lot of people are reading books at this time. Um, the books are probably being read to people, but but just in terms of who has the money to buy them, it's it's a select few. Midway through this book, though, uh, the Gutenberg Press comes out, and now all of a sudden you've got books being being pressed and. Now a wider audience can can read these books, and so this is happening right in the middle, and uh, just a lot of other history that that goes along with it. But the thing that stuck out the most is just this is this is pre Renaissance, but these stories and the and the works that they're collecting from Plato and the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans, this had a direct impact on the Renaissance starting in Italy and and a. a big part of it being in Florence. It kind of started here, like these booksellers bringing these works and people reading these works. And uh, it just leading to this, to these new ideas and, and things like that. And, and a lot of it started in these bookshops. So really cool. I, I loved reading about it. You, you learn a lot about just the history of the book, you know, like, why was it put together? Why is it a rectangle? Why is it? Um, why is it this way? And uh, so if, if you're a book lover, this was this is a really fun one. And that one took me 12 hours and 12 minutes to read. Next up was Rembrandt is in the Wind by Russ Ramsey. Uh, Russ Ramsey is the pastor of the church I go to here in Franklin, Tennessee. And this book is is one about art. Uh, Russ loves art. He loves learning about art and then sharing uh, what he's learning. And so he'll every Wednesday he does uh, Twitter uh, Art Wednesdays and he'll just share about different works of art. And this one was neat is in, in that he goes through different works of art and then shares about the artist. He shares about their work and then how they did the, their work. And so, you know, just the tools to, to create the work. 
and then their faith as well. So it, did their faith play any part in the work that, that they did? And what's neat is you, you'll recognize a lot of the works that are talked about in this book. And the, the cover of the book is, is a Rembrandt painting that was actually stolen from uh, a museum in, in Boston. But um, there's a chapter about Vermeer, and I, I don't want to give it away what, what happens, but the way and the method in which Vermeer paints what just blew me away. I didn't know that that's how he did it. And it was just so interesting that I, I, I'm amazed. And that's the thing that always comes to mind when I, when I think of this book. So Rembrandt is in the wind by Russ Ramsey, five hours and 29, 28 minutes to read that one. All right, next up, I, I did something a, a little different here and I read, well, I, I, I took a deep dive into an opera and the opera is the marriage of Figaro by Mozart. I'm a big nerd, and in 2006, I I had some air miles, and I was single at the time, and I flew to Vienna just to go see an opera. And so I saw The Marriage of Figaro in the city where it was first performed at the opera house. It was amazing, but I just, I loved this opera so much that I, I wanted to, to do that. But in all that time, I probably listened to it 500 times or more, the, the whole opera, and I, I have no idea what they're saying. And so I wanted to fix that. And so that's why I had this book on my list this year. And so what I did is I, I started with the book. So this is actually a, a play a, a, um, by Beaumarquet. And so it's called the Figaro Trilogy. So I read the whole trilogy. The first one is the Barbara Seville, which is, which is another uh, opera as well. And then you've got the Marriage of Figaro. And then after that, there's, uh, there's one called The Guilty Mother. So it's, it's the, the full story of Figaro. And I, so I, I got to read it for the first time. So I started with that. Started with the, the actual story that The Marriage of Figaro was based on by Beaumarquet. Next, I read the libretto, libretto which are the words that are said during the opera. So I read the whole one for the, the Marriage of Figaro. And then I, I have a score, uh, a musical score of the opera. I went through the opera. I listened to it while looking at the score. And, um, and then just went through the whole opera that way. So again, started with the story, then went through the libretto, then went through the, the, um, the musical score. And it was so fun, and I'm so glad I did that. And it just opened up the whole thing, and it it just causes you to ask, you know, why why did Mozart do the music this way, or are there connections between this song and that song? Uh, are they in the same key? You know, what what key are they in? Uh, do do you hear a similar note or a series? Do you hear a a similar theme in here and there. Why is the, why is the intro to this entire opera? Why is it different from everything else in the opera? Uh, what's that trying to say? And so I think that's my, my one thing from this. I, I still haven't covered this one on the the podcast. I, I, I may do that in the beginning of, of 2023 here, uh, where I, I want to go through the different songs and just kind of share what's going on, what's being said and, in that sort of thing. But yeah, the, the marriage of Figaro did a deep dive into the, into the opera. And that was a lot of fun. And that was book number 10. It was kind of a bunch of different things there, but that took me 14 hours and 16 minutes to, to get through that. 
Next up was Sapiens by uh, Yuval Noah Harari, A Brief History of Humankind. Um, gosh, nothing, nothing really sticks out on this one, uh, but it was an enjoyable one. Just, you know, kind of a, a, a quick overview of, of human history. Yeah, I can't, I'm sorry. I can't remember anything in that one. Um, the Hitchhiker's Guide, it took me 11 hours and 24 minutes to read it. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was next up by Douglas Adams. And I'd heard a lot about this one, just uh, was curious to read it and never had. And thing I remember this is just how wacky it was. And yeah, that's that's about all I remember of, of that one. Next up, Nothing to See Here. Oh, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide took me three hours and 44 minutes. Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson. This was suggested by a couple people, um, and uh, I had never read anything Kevin Wilson before. The thing I remember most about this is just the premise of the book. And the premise is that there's these kids that can just uh, internally combust, like those, those, those set on fire. And... Yeah, it's it's out of the realm of possibility, but it it's it's so close. I I mean, you could just see like a kid getting so nervous that all of a sudden they just kind of burst into flames. And the flames don't hurt them, but just they they burst into flames and everyone freaks out. Um it it's very close to the realm of possibility. And and I love how Kevin Wilson just toyed with that line. And it 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 just made me think of you could do that in so many different ways with, with a novel where it just takes you right to the edge. Like this, is this possible? It it could maybe be possible, but I've never seen it. But what if that was possible? What would that, what would that entail? What would it be like? Um, and that's, that's kind of one thing I kept thinking about after, after reading this book, but I, I really enjoyed it. It, it, it was, um, it was one I really enjoyed this year. And that took me four hours and 53 minutes to read. Next up was The Codebreaker by Walter Isaacson. Uh, I love reading Isaacson. And and this one was uh, the subtitle, Jennifer Dudna, Gene Editing and the Future of the Human Race. So this, so this one's about the CRISPR gene editing. And what, uh, what I appreciated about Isaacson in this book is just that he went into all of the different ramifications and what should we be doing this with genes should we be editing our genes uh there's there's a lot of ways that that can help but there are a lot of ways that that could go wrong and and ways that could be abused um you, you talk about designer children where the wealthy could potentially choose the different aspects of their of their child uh just by editing the the genes and so is, is that right? It just, it, it brought forth a lot of the, the ethical and moral dilemmas from, from that while teaching you about what CRISPR is and all that. So it's a very good book. I mean, you're going to be reading a lot about that going forward. And so this is probably a good place to get introduced to that if, if, um, if you're not familiar with it. And that took me 10 hours and eight minutes to read that one. Next up, book 15 was The Seven Story Mountain by Thomas Merton. This is my first book by Merton, uh, the bookstore where I'm business manager, the owner there, Joel Tomlin, he loves Merton. So I've seen Merton a lot at the bookstore and then uh, just have heard a lot of people talk about him. I didn't know anything about him. So the, the main thing that sticks out to me about Merton is, is just that he, 
he was not a monk his whole life. Like he, uh, he lived in New York. He, he was a rabble rouser for a while and then, and then became a monk. And it was neat to read about that process. And I, I enjoyed that, that part of the book. Next, uh, that took me 13 hours and 16 minutes. Next up was a very short book by Ken Follett called Notre Dame. And it was a short history of the meaning of cathedrals. And so this is, um, this is after the Notre Dame in, uh, in Paris burned. And so he wrote this, this short little book about it. And I don't really remember anything about it, uh, but I do just love Notre Dame. And I've been in Paris a few times and just, I would just go in that building and sit in there. And it's probably my favorite building in the world. And uh, I wish I remembered more of that book, but Number 17, oh, it took me 40 minutes to read. Number 17 is Sir, um, Captain Sir Richard Francis Burton. And this one took me 16 hours and three minutes to read. This is a book about, well, <clears throat> the subtitle is The Secret Agent Who Made the Pilgrimage to Mecca, Discovered This Kama Sutra, and Brought the Arabian Nights to the West. And it's by Edward Rice. This was just a, a very interesting book because I, I didn't know anything about Sir Richard Francis Burton, and I learned a lot about him. He was uh, he was a spy uh, for the British. He traveled the world. He was the first first white man to do a lot of of things, and uh, just his experience. I mean, just all over. Like he was in the the United States right before the Civil War. He was in South America. He was in Africa. He was in um, he was in the the Middle East in Saudi Arabia, just all over the world. And just very neat to read and and learn about about this man. And then he um he, he discovered like the Arabian Nights and translated them and, and made them popular in the West. And same with the the Kama Sutra as well. So those are the first 17 books on the 2022 reading list. All right, next up, The Unabomber Manifesto by Theodore John Kaczynski. The real title is Industrial Society and Its Future, but but everyone knows it as The Unabomber Manifesto. And I was just curious more than any, anything, just wanted to, to read it, see what it said. And uh, I'm, I'm glad I did. Uh, it's, it's whereas the that other, the Engels book, I said that he called for revolution, but he really didn't. Well, in this one, Kaczynski actually does call for revolution. And he, he says, you know, people are going to have to die for this message to get out and that sort of thing. But um so that's the the main thing I remember. The other thing I remember, though, is just I, I think I was kind of expecting the ravings of a madman, and it's not that at all. It's quite coherent and kind of disturbingly so. But um, yeah, it's you know here's here's what's going on. This is where this will lead. Oh, and by the way, we need to to uh, to get this message out. No one's going to read it unless we kill some people. And so yeah, kind of disturbing, but interesting as well. Took me two and a half or two hours and 56 minutes to read that book 19 radical hope by Jonathan Lear ethics in the face of cultural devastation. This one's about the Crow Indians and the, the transition from being there being on their own to, uh, to the white people coming in and, and life drastically changing. So what do you do when that, when that happens? Uh, this one tied in very well with the first book on the list of On Reading Well, 
by Karen Swallow Pryor, because this one also talks about virtues. But what does virtue mean when the definition changes for a culture? So for for the crow, the there was a certain thing they would do, and that was how they showed courage in their culture. But they couldn't do that anymore, and and so they they lost that. And so what does courage look like going forward? Can a people group change their definition of a virtue depending on the circumstances? What does that do to a society? What does it do to leadership? Uh, can a leader guides guide a people through that and what you see in this book is that yes a, a leader in fact did that very thing um how did he do it that's that's kind of the question the one thing that's so that's kind of overall and in, in the thing that stuck out uh the the other thing that stuck out was just the the crow the way they would do things is when they came into a battle they had this uh coop, the coop stick and they, they would uh, they would someone would go up and put that stick in the ground and that that defined the boundary and so if the other group was going to come and attack, they had to get past that boundary. Like the boundary set this set the, the, the whole thing of the battle. And it was just a really interesting thing. And just, you know, you, there, there's books about boundaries and setting boundaries in that. And, and here's a, a pretty vivid example of that in, in times of war. So that was that was quite interesting to read about. Next up, book 20, Scotland 2070, Healthy, Wealthy, Wise, An Ambitious Vision for Scotland's Future Without the Politics. I, I, uh, it was written by Ian and Dorothy Godden and then Hilary Silito. Uh, I know the Goddens, and, uh, and, and so I, I, I wanted to read this book by them, and it, it happened to coincide with a trip that I, I took to Scotland earlier this year as well. So I, I was reading this book actually while I was in Scotland and, and on the way over there and all that. And really neat book. They're, they're presenting an idea on on how Scotland can become healthy, wealthy, and wise uh, in, in looking forward, uh, specifically to the year 2070. So what, what would they need to change now for, for that to happen? And the thing that, that stuck out to me the most, and you, you're probably aware of this, but um, I didn't know about it, and it was that the the water above Scotland, the water above Russia, uh, that that's melting, and and the ships are starting to go through that, and they haven't been able to in the past because of ice, and now they're 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 starting to get through that, and if that opens up into a major trade route, that's going to change a lot. Uh, that will change times from like from Scotland to China uh, by sea it will cut that drastically. And in, instead of having to go down and, and around, uh, they can go kind of up up and over. But that also puts Russia in a really good spot because they have a lot of land that is right against that that waterway. And so when you're looking at, um, at, at Scotland, uh, as this book is, uh, Scotland could potentially look north for the first time for trade, for uh, that sort of thing, as opposed to they've always had to look south to England and then beyond. Uh, they could potentially start looking north and and trade routes and become a, a major player in, in that. But it, but it also just brings up this point that Russia is going to control a big part of that as well. So what does that mean? What, what does that mean in terms of, uh, and this book doesn't get into it, but it's just like, what does it mean in terms of uh, with, with U- Ukraine right now and, and all that? Um, is that? Is that part of why... Russia started that just kind of opens up a lot of questions, but just that, that knowledge that 
that opens up a huge trade way above above Russia, above Scotland, above uh, Amsterdam, all that. Like, what does that do globally and, and with trade? Uh, just a really interesting thing to think about. And then just cool to think about a country in that way. Like, how could a, a country change, a small country ch- uh, like Scotland change to uh, to become leaders in, in different areas? And what should they focus on and that sort of thing? So, so really enjoyed that one. It took me six hours and five minutes to read it. Next up was the Apocrypha. And the Apocrypha is... Uh, well, it's it's in some people's Bibles. It's never been in a Bible that that I've had, uh, but you, you'll find it in in a lot of uh, uh, well, you'll find it in the Catholic Bible, and then um, like the Ethiopian Church, they have they have the parts of the Apocrypha, and so it's 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 a part of the Bible that would fit between the Old and the New Testament, and. So it, it it it's similar to the Bible in that sense, where there's like there's wisdom literature, there there's um, there's kind of like history, there's uh, there's all sorts of stuff. There there's fantasy stuff going on. Um, there's even dragons in in the apocrypha, and and I'd never read it, and I was actually always kind of afraid of it because it was never in the Bible. I Bible I would read, and so why is it not in there? Is it is it bad stuff? Is it stuff I shouldn't be reading? Uh, so I I'd never just picked it up and, and read it until, until this year. And, and I loved it. Um, it, I was always kind of told that there was this 400 year period of, of silence between the end of the old Testament and the beginning of the new. Uh, and that's not the case. There's, there's quite a bit here just in the Apocrypha of, of what w- was happening during that time. And there were just these books of wisdom and, um, I, I loved it. I, I really enjoyed it. And, and so I'm going to try to make it a regular practice to, to read through the Apocrypha if, if I'm reading through, through the Bible. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of, I, I mean, there's, there's just so much in the Apocrypha that it, it's hard to pick up one thing, but I guess if I'm taking a step back, the, the one thing would just be that, that I was so shocked that I liked it so much and, uh, just kind of that, be careful what you read, but but also don't be so fearful of things that that you you don't read it. Um, so that, that was the apocrypha. Booked. Oh, and it took me seventeen hours and thirty two minutes to read it. Next up was Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail in nineteen seventy two by Hunter S. Thompson. Um, this was uh, so he's on the campaign trail and. Oh, it's just the the good, the bad, and the ugly of of politics. And this guy is kind of a mess himself, Hunter S. Thompson, and he's writing about everything that's going on. But he just has he has a lot of insight, and he's just he's just so honest with what's going on. I mean, he's kind of favoring a particular politician, and that alters how he sees things and his writing and predictions and and all that. So. Neat book, my first book by Hunter Thompson. Um, yeah, it was a it was a decent read. Next up after that was the Spy Who Came In from the Cold by John Le Carre, and this is a spy thriller and one of the one of the classics. And I, gosh, it was it was very vivid. I, I remember the end very very well. Uh, the writing and also just kind of themes throughout. Um, Oh, and, and the way he wrote, you just kind of felt like you were there. You felt the, the cold. You felt, uh, you felt the the intensity. Um, but yeah, a very good one. Right after that was Rising Tiger by Brad Thor, and I read this one. Uh, the 
bookstore I mentioned earlier, Landmark Booksellers, where I'm a business manager, we had Brad Thor come in and he signed a bunch of, of books. And uh, so I wanted to read it before he came in. So I, I just, you know, if, if an author's coming in, I, I, I think it's fun to, to read a book. And, and if I'm in the room with him, I get to talk to him and ask him questions about it as well. So I actually read this book in one day um, just before I met him. I, I actually, I think I was like 40 pages left before I met him. So I didn't know the ending of the book when I was talking to him, but then uh, went home and, and finished the book. So I, I did finish it in, in one day. It took me six hours and 14 minutes, but I kind of worked through it quickly. And it was, it was glad, uh, I mean, I was glad to, to have read it right after the uh, Jean Le Carre book because uh, this, this, the rising tiger is a, is a new one. And, um, the, the spy that came in from the cold is, is a classic. And this one hits on a lot of things that are actually happening in the world right now. And it, um, has, has this, the character go through and yeah, but it was just things you've read about in the news and, and happening now. So that was, that was neat. And it was just cool to be able to talk to the author about about the book as well. And what's funny is uh, that thing I mentioned in the Scotland 2070 book, where uh, the the Russia uh, the waterway opening up above Russia. So I, so I mentioned that in um, when I when I was talking to Brad Thor while he was signing the books. I was like, man, have you, I just read this book and he was talking about this waterway opening up. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what my last book was about. The, the waterway opening up black ice. Yeah. It was, so that was kind of funny. Another foot, foot in the mouth moment in my life. So that one took, yeah, I, I mentioned six hours, 14 minutes. Next up book 25, a history of the world in six glasses. I love these kind of books. Um, I love learning about drinks and just, I, I, I used to travel internationally a lot and it just always fascinated me to go to different parts of the world and see the differences in marketing. Like, a, a, for instance, a beer that was, was kind of viewed as a crappy beer in the States would be the premier beer in another place. And then the one that was kind of a premier beer in the States would be just a, a regular one in, in a, another place. And a lot of that has to do with marketing and just how it's marketed in that that uh, country. And so I'm just kind of always been interested in it. But this one kind of goes through more of the history of of the world, uh, as the title would suggest, in the six six classes. So wine, tea, beer, coffee, and uh, spirits. And then the last one is Coca Cola. So. Um, Neat, neat book in that sense. One I, I would highly recommend. Tom Standage is who wrote that. And it took me four hours and 57 minutes to read it. Next up, Galapagos by Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, this is the first novel I've read by by Vonnegut. Took me four hours and 57 minutes to read it. I really loved Vonnegut's style. And that's the thing I may, uh, main thing I remember. And it made me want to read more Vonnegut just because of that style. So this was a, a very fun book to read about is like it takes place way in the future uh but a guy writing about what happened in in the past i, I loved it i i hope to read more vonnegut in the future that might be one where I, I take a year and just read vonnegut next up uh jack hinson's one man war this one took me nine hours and 28 minutes and this this is about a a guy who lived near the Tennessee and Kentucky border. And the reason I read it is that um, at, at the bookstore, uh, Landmark Books, Booksellers, uh, we, have a, we have a Civil War section because Franklin, Tennessee was, was a Civil War battlefield. Uh, a major battle took place right 
right in the, the city center. And so we have a lot of people who come in for, for books about the Civil War. And this is one that, that our owner recommends a lot. And so it's one of those I wanted to read so that I could, um, if I'm talking to somebody about the book, I could, I could tell them about it. And this is a, this is kind of like a John Wick story in a way where uh, this, this guy is just kind of minding his business right on the, the border of, the, of Kentucky and Tennessee. And um, he's got friends on the Union side. He's got friends on the Confederate side. And, and uh, the, some Union soldiers kill his two sons one day. And then he just goes, he just goes nuts and gets a rifle. rifle. And he, he's got this spot where he can set up right next to the river, uh, but up on a hill. And then as boats go by, he'll just, he'll just use that rifle and just start taking out officers. And so he does that. He kills well over a hundred people and, uh, just kind of takes things into his own hands for a while, but it's really interesting to read it and just to see what his family life was like during this time, uh, his desire to not get into involved in the war, but the war comes to him It comes right to his doorstep and, just kind of makes you think, you know, what would you do in that situation? You're just, you're just trying to mind your own business and, um, and the war comes right on your, your land, you know, what, what, what would you do? Um, so very interesting book and and I'm glad I read it. Uh, number 28, Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison. This one took me 14 hours and 21 minutes. I had started this book a long time ago, probably 2006 or so, and then just only got, um, 80 or hundred pages in and, and quit it. But, uh, I read it again this year and gosh, or I started again and, and finished it this year and I just loved it. I mean, it, it, um, it was one of my favorites for the year and it was just a very intense book, but like a very, one that's very applicable to now. Uh, a lot of what is being talked about is, is earlier in, in the, um, the 1900s or I mean, mid 1900s, but it's, it's, it's a lot of stuff that we're still talking about and dealing with. Um, a black man gets killed by a cop in this book as one example, but just, you see this man and he's, he's going through his life and he's invisible to everybody. He's invisible to white people. He's invisible to black people. And what, what does that do to a man? But then also what does that say about the culture um, there's a lot going on here. A lot of just different s- situations this this man is is involved in that that uh, are just crushing and very vivid book. Uh, one that uh, yeah is one of my favorites for the year. After that, I read the Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel, and uh, this one is Timeless Lessons on Wealth, Greed, and Happiness. And he tied uh, compound interest to to investing, well, obviously, but, um, but he said he, he had one thing talking about Warren Buffett's net worth and how the majority of it has come after his 65th birthday. And that was just, that was astonishing. I mean, I've, I've heard a lot about compound interest. I've read about it and, uh, I, I know what it's supposed to do, but, but hearing that statement just really uh, kind of put it into to play. As the title of the, this book suggests, it's it's more of a how to think about money holistically as opposed to here here's what you here are the do's and don'ts of, of money. So uh, this this is a good one on on personal finance for you, which is more to kind of take that step back to and, and think about 
uh, about money and, and, and approaching money as a whole. Uh, it took me three hours and 56 minutes to read that. After that, I read Present Concerns Essays by C.S. Lewis. And this is just a, a collection of, of different essays by uh, by Lewis. Lewis is, is one of my favorite authors. And so I try to have a, a book by, by C.S. Lewis every year. Um, none of the essays really stick out uh, in, in particular, but uh, I, I always do enjoy reading reading Lewis. After that was The Road by Cormac McCarthy. And uh, if you've listened to other episodes of this podcast, you know I have a history with Cormac McCarthy in that I read Blood Meridian as part of my 2017 reading list and hated it, like just despised it and uh, didn't ever want to have anything to do with McCarthy again and shared that in the podcast episode that I did about that book. That's one of those uh, embarrassing episodes that I've kept up. And I got a lot of comments, just, you know, you need to give this guy another try. Uh, and so I did. I, um, I gave Blood Meridian another try, and, and now it's one of my favorite books. So that was a big shift for me. And so this is my second McCarthy book for the project. And gosh, it was so good. Uh, the thing that, that, that sticks out to me about this book, uh, a couple things. One is just the, the vivid portrayal, uh, the, this father and son going through, through this wasteland and um, so, so a lot of those scenes from the book stick with me. I, I can see them in my mind. The other thing is just, uh, I, I love how McCarthy writes and you've got to be paying attention. And I find, I find this may be a weird thing to say, but I, I, I find McCarthy helps me read the Bible better because you, you just, you have to pay attention. And, and if he's saying something here and it sounds weird, or it's like a weird turn of phrase, like you've got to pay attention to that. Cause he's trying to tell you something. And it might show up later or it might be applicable to that scene, but it, it's, I, I just love that. And, and I, I love that these books help me become a, a better reader. So the, the Road by Cormac McCarthy, it took me four hours and 33 minutes. Next up, The Truth and Beauty by Andrew Clavin. How the lives and works of England's greatest poets point the way to a deeper understanding of the words of Jesus. Uh, this is another one that our, <clears throat> the owner of, of Landmark Booksellers, he read this and just loved it. And so I, I wanted to see what all the, <clears throat> all the hubbub was, was about. And so I, I, I picked this one up and, and this was kind of a late addition to uh, this year's reading list. But what I, what I really appreciated is that he, he looks at, uh, at some of the major poets of the 19th century, uh, like Cole, Coleridge, Yeats, Yeats, and, um, and, and a number of others. And, and I don't understand poetry very well. I, I would like to, I want to get more into it. And so this book is a great introduction in that sense. Uh, a lot of these poets were at like a particular dinner together and he writes about that and just, you know, it, it's amazing to, to, to write about that or to read about that. But then to, to hear how Coleridge influenced so many other poets, that was a really neat thing to read about. And that's kind of my main takeaway from this book is just how much Coleridge influenced others. So uh, next up in my reading project, I'm going through the great books. And so I actually ended up adding a lot of these poets to to that list. That one took me five hours and 55 minutes to read. So I got two more to cover in this segment here. Next up is Jaber Crow by Wendell Berry. This is a novel that, and this was the first Wendell Berry that I had, had ever read. Uh, Jaber Crow, uh, what's, what's neat is that this book takes place in an area that uh, uh, Port William, 
And a number of Wendell Berry's other books also take place in that same area. And so you'll come across names in Jaber Crow here that you'll recognize as titles for his other books. And what, uh, so Wendell Berry's writing from different vantage points, but, but it's taking place in the same town. And so that, so that's a cool idea. The thing that stuck out the most is just that, uh, I, I wanted to be Jaber Crow. And he was not a perfect man. He's not this, you know, ridiculously idealistic person, but he's, uh, he's real. And he, um, I just loved how B- Wendell Berry wrote about him. And it just, it was one of those books where you, you wanted to be, become the main character. And it took me 11 hours and 46 minutes to read it. And what was so cool in this, I, I, I randomized the order of my books. And this one came up right next to Sir Gibby by George MacDonald. So I read Jaber Crow and then book 34 was Sir Gibby by George MacDonald. And there were so many similarities between these two books. Uh, it was so neat to be able to read them back to back. But same thing, I wanted to be Sir Gibby in the George MacDonald book. Uh, the way he wrote about this man and um, he just, he contrasted it with with this priest who was another main character. And Sir Gibby is this, this he can't speak, um, but he's just, he's doing all the things that that the priest should be doing. And the priest is not doing any of these things. And, and he's saying, you actually can't do these things. Uh, and you shouldn't try to do these things yet. Here's Sir Gibby doing these things and just a, uh, a honest way. And again, he's not a perfect, perfect person, but he, 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 you want to be him by the end of the book. And so it's cool. It's so cool to read these two books side by side, uh, Jaber Crow and Sir Gibby. Sir Gibby took me 16 hours and 43 minutes to read. And George MacDonald is, is my wife's favorite author. So I try to read a book a year by him as well. So that'll do it for this segment. And then uh, go through the next 18, the final 18 books from 2022 in the next segment. Well, if you're still listening, thank you for sticking with me. This is so much fun to go through these books. Uh, I think a lot about the books that I want to read. And uh, so if they've made it onto the reading list, I, I've thought about them a lot. And, and they're books I, I, I really want to read. And, and so it's just fun to talk about them and, and see what I recall from each one. So next up, book number 35 from The Holy Mountain by William Dalrymple. This, the subtitle on this one is A Journey Among the Christians of the Middle East. It took me 12 hours and 22 minutes to read it, and it is a book. Uh, Dalrymple travels among the Middle or through different parts of the Middle East and, and is looking for uh, monasteries in particular, but he's looking for Christian communities. And what's neat is the monasteries that he comes across, a lot of them are in kind of their final days. And there's different reasons for this, and, and that's what you find out in, in the book. But these monasteries have been around for a while. So as Dalrymple is going to these monasteries, they're singing songs that they've probably been singing for a thousand years or more. And they're doing things that they've, they've that's probably how they've been doing it for, for most of, of history. And so it's just a neat look. Uh, it, and it's kind of in the last throes of it as, as he's going through through it and traveling in these places. So it's neat to read about it and learn about it. And he's, 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 he's trace retracing the steps of, of, a of a, a book and, and a monk, uh, many years prior. And so he's going through that, that journey and this book is the result, but yeah, just a, a neat look at, at Christian Christians in the middle East and, and their, their current 
state of affairs. Book 36, Oranges by John McPhee. Uh, I read McPhee's book, Draft Number 4, two years ago for this project. And that's on the process of writing. But this is the first book I've read that McPhee has written um, uh, uh, other than that, that other one. And as the title would suggest, it's about oranges. And you've never known how little you know about oranges until you until you read this book. Um, I learned a lot about oranges and, and, uh, and it just made me want to, to drink orange juice and eat oranges. And, and I did that after, uh, after reading this book, but yeah, if you, if you want, uh, if you want a, a thorough overview of oranges, this is, this is a great book to read. And then if you just want to read like, uh, an author that is very good at his craft, uh, McPhee is that person. So, that one took me two hours and 40 minutes. Next up, Reading While Black by Esau Macaulay, African-American biblical interpretation as an exercise in hope. And in this one, Esau Macaulay talks about how, how it's very beneficial to look at interpreting the Bible through different cultural vantage points and how that can lead to deeper insight and uh, especially with the the African American experience in the United States, what what can that community teach other communities about that process of interpreting the Bible? Very neat book, and uh, one that I'm glad that I read. That one took me four hours and twenty three minutes to read. Next up is The Mind of the Maker by Dorothy Sayers. This was book 38. It took me five hours and six minutes to read it. This is a, a book about the creative process, and, and um, it's, Dorothy Sayers was a contemporary of C.S. Lewis and, and Tolkien, and she knew them, and then she's written a number of, of um, detective stories and, and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, just... Uh, I've read a lot of these types of books. Um, this one's kind of considered a a classic in in that area of um, creativity and in art and and how does that connect to faith that sort of thing. Next up, the fire next time by James Baldwin. This one took me one hour and forty seven minutes, and it goes through his his life. Um, yeah, I, I don't remember much. Other than that, uh, from that one. Next up, number 40, The Secret History by Donna Tartt. This is a novel, and this one was very... I I was so engaged in this one, I didn't know what was going to happen. And uh, a very vivid book, one I really enjoyed reading. Book 41 was Wild Problems by Russ Roberts, A Guide to the Decisions that Define Us. This one took me two hours and 54 minutes to read. And Russ talks about, he, Russ is, is an economist. He has a podcast called Econ Talk. And I've listened to that since 2013. I love the podcast and I've read all of Russ's other books. What, um, what's interesting about this one is as an economist, he, he approaches problems from, from a certain vantage point or, or he's taught to, but he, he, he sees that there's a lot of problems in life that we can't we can't approach in a certain way. You, you can't like, you can't take a pro con list to certain problems in life. 
And so how do you approach those types of problems? And that's what this book is about. He calls them wild problems. What, what tool set do you come to with, with those types of problems? Uh, and, and it's not the pro-con list. So very helpful book. I, that, one, that one's a great one for, to buy for graduates. Uh, after that was The Body by Bill Bryson. And this one took me 10 hours and 27 minutes to read. The thing that stuck out most about this book is just how often he said, uh, I talked about the things that, that we don't know about the human body. So I learned a lot about the body, but it's, it's also astonishing just how much we, we still don't know. And I, I'm glad he was honest about that in the book. After that, I read Why Art Matters, A Call for Christians to Create by Alistair Gordon. Uh, just kind of a, a, a so I'm a, a website developer and I was doing a website for a, an awesome uh, hotel in Edinburgh, Scotland, and they sell artwork that is done by Alistair Gordon. And so I, I got on, on a call with Alistair one, one day about just, you know, getting his artwork on the, the website and stuff like that and saw that he had a book. So I, I added it to, to my reading list, but uh, really neat book, just an, another one kind of on the, the idea of creativity in the, in the Bible and what, what does it mean for us as image bearers of God to, to create what, what, uh, what does that entail? That sort of thing. The one thing that stuck out in this book is that he, he kept calling people uh, makers. So he said, God, God is the creator and then people are makers. And a lot of the other books I've, I've read about this uh, call people the creators and th- that were co-creators. And so that the terminology kind of, kind of messed me up a little bit in, in this one, because I've always liked to think of it as co-creators as opposed to makers. You know, it's really kind of a strange thing to say, or, or maybe a little technical, but uh, that, that's one thing that comes to mind when I, when I think of, of this book. After that, I, I read The Wingfeather Saga by Andrew Peterson, and this is a four-book series, and so I'll talk about uh, the series as a whole, but uh, that, these were books 44 through 47, and then there was another book after that that I'll, that I'll get, into, get into next. Uh, but this, this is a I've read... Uh, Andrew Peterson's nonfiction work, and and I've been listening to his music recently, and uh, we've had this series at the store, but I, I didn't think I was the intended audience because the the imagery on it uh, it, it just looks like it's geared towards towards young a uh, younger audience, and so I'd, I'd hesitated getting into it, but I'd heard so many good things, and I I'd specifically seen people say that they were reading it to their kids, and that they would just need to take a break and and cry. And it was just such an emotional book. It was, it was reaching so deep into these people that it's, it's like it, they, they just had to like take a break and, and kind of, you know, regroup. And so I, I read it and, and I was just amazed. Um, I, I'm glad I read it. It, uh, I, I think going in, I, I just had that mentality that it was going to be a, a children's book. And to me, a children's book is one where you, the the end what's going to happen is predictable and that was not the case in this book at all it was just over and over i was i was struck and i was surprised and and all that and so very good series i'm glad i read it and and then it ties into to the next book so there's the wingfeather saga and then uh there's a fifth book called the wingfeather tales 
And this is a collection of seven different tales. And two of them are, are written by Andrew Peterson, who wrote the Wingfeather Saga. But then five of them are written by other authors. And so what they're doing is taking little snippets of things that you learn about in Wingfeather. And they're they're kind of expanding on, on these things. And so it was great. I've actually wanted to read a lot of the authors who were who were the who wrote these tales. And so that was cool. But the, the last story, uh, and, and it kind of, it encompasses half the book was written by Doug McKelvey and it's called the places beyond the maps. And that story just blew me away. Uh, I covered it in, in a podcast episode. I, I wasn't planning to, but it, it was one of the best things I've, I've read and the way it tied into the wing feather saga. And I, I, I also, I, I, I was crying at the end of the book and that just does not happen for me when I'm reading. And so it was, it was a, an experience in, in that sense, but just the, the way it was written, the, the content, uh, it, it blew me away. And so, yeah, the wing feather saga, and then plus these, these wing feather tales that, that was, uh, was amazing. The wing feather books, the book one took me seven hours and nine minutes to read book two, nine hours and 53 minutes, book three, seven hours and 41 minutes, book four, 11 hours and 34 minutes. And then the wing feather tales took me nine hours and 27 minutes. After that, I read the Viking heart, how Scandinavians conquered the world. This one's by Arthur, Arthur Herman. And uh, he wrote how the Scots invented the modern world. And I, I'd read that one a while ago and, and loved loved that one. I My family heritage is is Norwegian. And so I, I, I like trying I, I like to try to read at least one book a year uh, about about Norwegians or uh, history and that sort of thing. And this one was the perfect book for that. it It talked about the history, but then it talked about some more of the recent history. Uh, especially with migrations from from that part of the world to to America, and in in my uh, forebears would have been a part of that. So it was just neat to read read about that. And then again, kind of like the Longships book I read earlier in the year, uh, it, I just learned so much about the history of Scandinavia. After that, I read The Splendid in the Vile by Eric Larson, and this one is about Churchill. So the the, the Subtitle here is a saga of Churchill family and defiance during the Blitz. Thing that stuck out most is just how life life went on during during the these nightly bombings, and uh, and then also just how the courage of Churchill how that changed the whole thing. Like the the Nazis were not prepared for that. They were not. They did not think there would be that level of of defiance by. Um, by Churchill. And just from the start, he's like, you know, we're not, we're not backing down. We're going to fight this to the last man. And that just shifted so much of, of the war. So this, this book takes place during about a one year period between 1940 and, and 1941. But, uh, the way Larson writes, it's, it, it almost reads like fiction. And, uh, that one took 13 hours and 50 minutes. Uh, the Viking heart one took 13 hours and 17 minutes. Now to book 51, just got two left here, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. This is the memoir of Phil Knight, and it's about the, the founding of Nike. And uh, it, it, it gets in, I, the thing that stuck out the most is just how close they were to failure so much as a company and how they, they just barely made it through. And uh, just, yeah, very neat. Very neat uh, to read about that, uh, and then just the the how the the company was 
founded uh, by runners and uh, how that was a big part of the early part of the of the company. Last book, uh, that took me eight hours and 30 minutes. Last book for the year was The Dawn by Yoram Hazoni. And this was a book that was suggested by by Russ Roberts, the the um, host of Econ Talk. And this was amazing. It's it's uh, Political Teachings of the Book of Esther. And it's it's a it's a pretty deep dive into the book of Esther that's that's in the Hebrew Bible. And gosh, I, I learned so much, but then just the way that he that he would dig into each word, it um I, I heard somebody say that uh that the the Bible is a is a magic book. And it it um reading this book, The Dawn, it it kinda I guess gave more insight into that in the sense that there's so much going on in the words and what the words of the the text are saying, but how they're referencing other things as well, that you can read a chapter and just spend endless hours on digging deep. And, and there's just like a magic to that of, the yes, the words are there, but you, there's so much going on and there's so much that you can talk about. And, and, and he goes into, to those things in the, in the story, uh, but then just ties it to, to like, what, what is power like? And what is, um, what, what does that, what do we learn about power in this, this story? What, what, uh, who has the power? And, um, it was really neat. I'm, I'm, I'll be covering this one on, on an upcoming episode of the podcast, but, um, I, I loved this book and I'm really glad I, I read it. And that was the book that, that closed out the year. So that's, that's the 52 books. Uh, in the next segment, I'm going to, I'm going to cover some things of like top five overarching ideas and that sort of thing. All right, here's the final segment here. Uh, first, I'm going to start off with the top five. So here, here are my five, top five books from that that list of 52. And I'll go uh, from five, four, three, two, and then one, one being my my absolute favorite. So the the in the five number five position, I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat and do a tie here. And the tie is going to be between with with Sir Gibby and Jaber Crow. And you you heard me mention that the the books are similar in a lot of ways. Uh, they were they were both so good. I wanted to be the main character in each, and so that they tied for number five. Number four was The Dawn by Yoram Hazoni. That's the the last one I covered, and that was the final book on the the list for this year. Uh, the 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 insight into the Book of Esther was was very good, and then there were just some sections that just nailed me in the sense of. Um, uh, things I struggle with or things I've been thinking about. Uh, and and the, I just found that to be very helpful. So I'll probably get into that more in the, in the episode coming up where, where I talk about that book, but that ended up being number four. Number three was The Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison. I just, I just thought it was an incredible novel and um, I was very moved by it. The number two was, I'm going to, I'm going to bunch a bunch uh, a bunch of books here together, and I'm going to say the Wingfeather Saga plus the Wingfeather Tales. Uh, the Wingfeather Saga itself, just uh, I, was, I was amazed. I, I was very surprised. I loved it. And then the tales uh, that that especially the story by Doug McKelvey uh, just just wrecked me. Um, so if if a book can make me cry, uh, it's 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 special. And uh, the the novella that Doug McKelvey wrote, it it made me cry. 
And number one for my 2022 reading list is The Apocrypha. And again, it, I think it was just a, a lot that it, it surprised me. I had been scared of it my whole life. And then I read it and just, I loved it. I can't wait to read it again. And so that's number one. Now I want to just highlight the books that I didn't read. So I've talked about the the way I put together my reading list before, where I, I pick the 52 books, I randomize the order, and then I just go reading them in order. Uh, I, I made a lot of changes this year, and, and part of that was just because uh, I'm, I'm starting a, a second phase of this project next year of starting to read through the great books. So this was really my last chance before I started reading those great books to, to read uh, uh, books that were, were not part of the great books, uh, series and, and, and specifically newer books. And so that kind of, once I, once I decided to do that, it kind of honed my, my list of like, okay, there are some books I, I really, really want to get through before I start doing this great books thing. And so I, I, I removed some. I, I actually had five of the great books on my list for this year. They were going to be the, the last five books. And I, I removed them because I, I'm just going to start next year on that. And then that opened up some spots. And I, I wanted to read the Wingfeather Saga. So that, that was those five books there. But here's some other ones that were on the original list that I ended up not not reading. And uh, for some of these, I'll, I'll give a reason reason why. The first one is the SHIT They Never Taught You by Adam Jones and Adam Ashton. This was a book that was sent to me and Adam Jones and Adam Ashton have a a reading um, project uh, kind of similar to mine and they do a podcast on on the books. And so what they did is is cover ideas and, and things they noticed in, in different books. And I, I wanted to read it. I just it, uh, another, I, I think I replaced that one with the David story, and that was because I, I got involved with this reading group, and, and so I, I needed to read that book at that specific time, and, and so it replaced replaced that book. Next up was He Saw That It Was Good by Sho Baraka, uh, another book that I wanted to read, but another book on that uh, that creativity and, and art side of things where I had some other books on the on the list this year. So I ended up removing that one. Next up was Noise by Daniel Kahneman. Uh, Daniel Kahneman's book Thinking Fast and Slow is one of my favorites for this entire reading project. And so I, I, I wanted to read his other book, just kind of figured whatever Kahneman puts out is, is going to be pretty good. But I just, other things came up. And so that was one that, that I ended up removing on writing by Stephen King, another book that, that I've been wanting to read a while, but, uh, just, it got, got knocked off a man at arms by Stephen Pressfield, uh, kind of felt guilty because this book was sent to me and just, uh, so I wanted to read it. I, I like the premise of the book, but, um, but I just, I decided to, to, to replace that with with another book. After that, uh, Beloved by Toni Morrison. This is a book I started, and the content it was just too much for me. And and I tried a couple times. I I, I went to a certain point in the book. It's like I just can't do this anymore. Uh, let me let me move to the next book and then try to come back to it. Read the next book, finished it. it tried to come back to Beloved, and and again just couldn't couldn't do it. Uh, just too much. Maybe maybe in the future I'll come back to it, but. Um, it was too much for me at, at, at this point. Norwegian Wood by uh, Haruki Murakami. I, I picked up the book for the, the sole purpose of reading a quote that really bothered me. People would quote this this one part of the book, and, and they would quote it as, as though Haruki Murakami said it, but he didn't say it. His A character in his book said it. And so I got up to that part of the book, 
and read that quote, read the context for that quote, and then talked about it in a podcast episode. But I uh, didn't just some of the content in the book, I, I didn't want to read further. And so I, I shelved that book as well and, and picked up another. Next is was Technological Society by Jacques Ellul. And uh, another one that uh, I had designs to read and, and just uh, ended up not reading it. The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt. Uh, his coddling of the American mind was, uh, was very impactful when I read that a few years ago for this project. But... Um, uh, one that I, I replaced with another book, Children of Ash and Elm, A History of the Vikings by Neil Price. I replaced that one with The Viking Heart. I just thought that The Viking Heart was more of what I was looking for, and, and I think I was correct in that. Um, and, and so that was another one that that, that uh, I didn't read. Here are the books that I, I replaced those with. The David Story, Rising Tiger by Brad Thor, One Man's War, Jack Hinson, The Truth and Beauty by Andrew Clavon, Wild Problems by Russ Roberts, The Wingfeather Saga and Tales, The Viking Heart, and The Dawn. So those are the ones that replaced the ones that I didn't read. Now, just a few uh, overarching ideas or insights from this year, and it may not even be necessarily related to the books that I read, but it's just things that, that I've been thinking about, and and then I I uh, I think about them often now, um, and so I I'll, I'll actually kind of see these in some of the books that I read this year. Uh, but the first one, and I highlighted this earlier, is just when I read that Engels book, and it um, I I read the book in I I read things into the book that were not there, and so that was just a huge lesson for me, and one that I I will have in the forefront of my mind, especially as I start going through the great books. I've heard, I, I will have heard a lot of things about the books that I'm going to be reading for the great books, but I, I need to go in as much as possible just with an open mind in the sense of what is the text actually saying? N- not what do I want it to say? What do I think it says? But what does it actually say? And I want to become that type of reader. So that that was a good insight and in, in, in thing that that I learned this year. It was a hard lesson, but, uh, but a good one. Another, uh, insight from this year is just illustrations. And this will sound very weird in, in, um, but there are illustrations in books and, uh, yeah, obviously. Right. But I don't think I ever made the connection of the importance of the illustrations. And so where this came into play this year is that I met some illustrators and one illustrator I met was uh, Ned Bustard. And what's funny is he did the illustrations for the very first book I read this year on Reading Well by Karen Swallow Pryor. So the cover of that book is done by Ned Bustard. The, the prints throughout the book, Ned Bustard. And, and I, I got to meet Ned Bustard this, this year and see a, a number of his other projects and, and books and all that. And so just this connection between the illustrations and books, it's just something I never had given thought to before. I mean, I, I would see the illustrations, but I just, I, it, it never, it never struck me to consider them or look at them. Like I've, I've always been more concerned with the words, but there's a lot of thought that goes into these illustrations and, and just meeting illustrators this year and, and kind of making that connection that may sound like the most obvious thing in the world to you, but it, it's really impacted me. Uh, I, I bought 
the Barry Moser Bible, and he's got a ton of illustrations in there. And just flipping through that and, and seeing how he how he thought of of the particular story, and, and to see these people's faces and that sort of thing is just it's fascinating. So I, I'm I'm into illustrations now. I'm actually when I'm opening up books and I'm looking to see who the illustrator is. I'm I'm looking to see how they portrayed the scene from the book, uh, and and that's that's something I never did before. So it it's something that has started this year as as a result of people I met and and this reading project. Another thing I've, I've been thinking about a lot lately as well is um, short and long compositions, and particularly with with writing, um, but also with with music. So where I I've been thinking about this is is especially with Andrew Peterson. So he he wrote this huge wing feather saga, and four book series, and then he wrote some of the tales and all that. It's just this this huge thing. But then he writes three-minute songs as well. And what's the difference in those things? Or maybe poetry versus a novel. Some, so some poets also write these large novels. And so something I've been thinking about a lot lately is just what's the difference in those things? Um, how does the author or the writer, how do they approach each of those things? Um, if, you are, if you're compacting big ideas into a three-minute song, that's going to look a lot different than than uh, how a novel unfolds, and so yeah, I just it's just got me curious on on those things. Uh, another idea that that just pops up all the time, and I, I see it throughout throughout this project, and, and it came up in a number of books again this year, is just uh, unseen work and kind of this idea of daily decisions and, and decisions we make on a, on mostly when we're alone. Uh, maybe 99% of these these things being decisions we make when no one's looking, when no one can see our inner thoughts. What what are we what direction are we moving with those those decisions? And this unseen work, like um successful people, they put in a ton of this unseen work. And then all of a sudden they're 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 at this certain level in their life, but they've done so many hours of this unseen work. And it's just, again, I, I see it all the time in the books I read and, and just uh, saw it again in, in a lot this year as well. Uh, Galapagos, just what I, I shared earlier, uh, Galapagos, but then also the the book by um, by Kevin Wilson. I, I just love how, how authors will take a unique approach. So it's, it's, it's very close to how things are, but you just shift it slightly and it creates this whole different world, this whole different, um, way of, of thinking about things. And, and I just love that idea. And so it's something I've been thinking about a lot as well this year. So those are some of the, the kind of overarching ideas and, and things I've been pondering. Uh, couple more things here, just a, a recap of the project. I started Books of Titans in 2017. I wanted to read more books and I wanted to remember what I read. And so for the past six years, I've been doing, uh, I, I've made a list of 52 books each year. And in some of the years I, I made it through all 52, some of the years I didn't, uh, I made it through all 52 this year. Uh, but that's been the past six years from 2017 to 2022. Now I am shifting. So that I'm calling that previous iteration, phase one, I'm now moving to phase two, and I'm going to read through the great books. And it's something that 
it just makes sense. I've, I've uh, been collecting the great books for most of my life. I've, I've got a lot of them and they, I've wanted to read them. But what I've learned from this reading project is that if I don't have a plan to read them, they'll just sit on my shelf and I'll never get to them. So the great books is kind of the best way I know to make sure I read all of these. And it's going to take a long time. I, I expect it to take 10 years. And I, I, I've made a list of 200 of the great books or the great authors uh, or the great series. And so there's 200 of them. I'll probably do 20 per year because with each great book, I'm going to read a guide book. Uh, so that might be a book about the cultural context of the book, uh, just maybe a book that helps understand it, uh, but greater in, in that sort of thing. So so yeah, that's that's the plan. Uh, but but I'm also going to have breaks in, in those 10 years. Uh, so the first two months of each year, I, I just want to read straight through the Bible. I did that in 2020 for this reading project. That was the first book I started off with. And it just, it made a big impact. And then just, I, it's just something I want to do. And, and so each year, I'm going to start off the first two months of the year reading through the Bible from start to finish. Uh, then I'll, I'll take March, April, May, and June and read the great books. I'm going to just read them in order from the oldest to the newest. I'll take July off each year and, and that'll be for extracurricular extracurricular reading. So books that are just not part of the the great books. Um, and that just kind of, you know, I'll, I'll be able to take a break. And then, so that's July. Then August, September, October, November, I'll be back to the great books. And then each December, I will also use just for, for fun reading or books that come up during the year that I want to read. So that, that's the schedule going forward. Uh, I, I would love for you to join. I, I have some people who have who have said that they'd like to to do that, whether it's just a, a, a few of the books or, or all of them. Uh, I, I think it's going to be really fun. And, and I want to try to have some things where, where we can discuss the books uh, in person or or online. So uh, please let me know if, if you have any interest in that. And then for what's coming up immediately for the project, uh, I've got this episode and then, the, and then a, another upcoming episode. I want to I've read 291 books now for the first six years of this project, and I want to take 15 kind of overarching ideas. And these are ideas that I call important ideas because I've seen them in a number of different books, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, biographies, uh, they, they just uh, they just come up a lot. And, and so I consider them to be important ideas. And so I want to have an episode where I just go through some of these, some of these ideas and talk about where I, I heard them and, and that sort of thing. And then uh, I, I will cover the dawn uh, in, in an upcoming episode as well. And then, yeah, just starting off January 1st, 2023 with the Bible. I'm going to read the Bibliotheca version. Uh, it's split into five books. So I, I will read the Apocrypha this time. I'll read the Apocrypha every other year when I, when I read through the Bible. But my plan is just to read a different version of the Bible each year to start off the year. And so Bibliotheca this, this year, uh, next year, I, I will probably do the, the Barry Moser Bible and, um, that's King James version. So I, I want to do a different translation and then, and then just, um, a, a, a unique version of, of the, of the Bible each year. So looking forward to that, uh, and, and just can't wait to get, get started with the, the great books as well. That's going to do it for this episode. If, if you're still listening, thank you for, for sticking through. Uh, you can email me at eric at booksoftitans.com with any questions or comments. Uh, if, if you 
want to share something you got out of uh, one of the books I talked about in this episode, I'd love to hear that. I, I, it's one of the reasons I started this project is just to to be able to connect to other readers and especially readers who are are reading the books that that I'm reading. Um, you can, I'd love for you to go to the website of Landmark Booksellers. If you want to support this project, that's the best way you can do it is to, to start buying some of your books from Landmark. We ship all across the, the United States. We, we ship internationally as well. If you put in a coupon code, Books of Titans, that'll get you 10% off any of the books. And we carry a lot of the books that, that I've read for, for this project. You can also follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter and go to the website. I've got a ton of resources there. I'm, I'm also revamping the site just a bit for going into 2023. So you can take a look at my, my list of the great books that I'll be reading and, um, and, and just a, a, my other reading lists and that sort of thing. I'll be back in a week or two uh, with, with some of these other episodes coming up. Until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out. Thank you.